Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Technology Leaders uh, podcast over at Saligo. I'm Jordan Tenenbaum, the social media manager at Saligo. I'm joined by our wonderful co-host, Mark Simon, who's the vice president of strategy over here. We have very and we have a very special guest, Chris Wayne, who is a director of engineering over at SUS. Um, thrilled to have you here, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Excited. Yeah, abs- absolutely, man. We're uh, we're 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 graced by your presence, so I'm I'm happy about <laughs> it. Um, well, let's dive right in. I think um, something that probably a lot of people want to know, um, especially about folks who work at SUS, because it is such a uh, large, but not only large, important company. Is um, what's your story? How'd you get to where you are? Um, you know, how'd you how'd you grow into this role at SUS? And and tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um... So let's see, it all starts actually at Canonical, which is a different Linux company. So I started, uh, I went to Northeastern University that does kind of a co-op program where they help you find a job and then you alternate six months of work and school. Uh, And so I did my last two co-ops at Canonical and then just didn't leave for 13 years. Um, So it's actually interesting. I started off as a QA guy. So I have a very deep QA background, kind of built that up at Canonical over the years. Uh, by the time I, I had left, I was actually uh, leading the QA and certification teams. Uh, so anything devices with Ubuntu had to go through me. Uh, and then how I ended up at SUSE was, you know, I got a recruiter note on LinkedIn and it was just kind of time. I wanted to try something completely new. Uh, it was very much a, a challenge of, like, hey, do you want to go from the devices side of the house to Kubernetes? I thought, that sounds fun. Let's try. And so, yeah, I started over uh, June 2021. Uh, so I've been there a couple of years now. Uh, started off as the senior engineering manager for K3S and RK2 teams, uh, which are our two next generation Kubernetes distributions. And then I think sometime around May, uh, I was promoted to director taking care of K3S, RK2, and RKU1, which is our, I don't want to say legacy, but it's our original Kubernetes distribution, uh, and trying to kind of coalesce that and lead the team that does rancher manager provisioning of those distributions as well. So it's, That's awesome, man. Congrats on the promotion, by the way. Thank you. Um, and I think for, for those of those listening, those watching, um, they might not have ever heard of SUS. Hopefully they have. But if you had to explain SUS in, I don't know, two, three sentences, just to, to keep it simple for them, um, how, what would you say, like, what does SUS do and what problems does it? You can use more than three sentences if you want. But what does SUS do and, and what uh, what problems does it solve um, on the whole for its customers? So so the, you know, the main core of SUSE is enterprise Linux. Uh, it's basically supporting Linux on everything. You know, we have uh, Edge, we have Telco, we have Data Center, and it's a lot of supporting that, maintaining stability, making sure that, you know, things that you want to work are going to work. Uh, So a couple of years ago, I think it was maybe four or five months before I joined, they actually uh, acquired Rancher. And so we kind of got folded in as, as a separate business unit. So Rancher is basically the easiest way to think of it is Rancher is kind of, we call it the enterprise enterprise container management business unit of SUSE. Uh, so that's kind of built up. And so now it's enterprise on the Linux side and on the Kubernetes side as well. And then we're also doing a big push into Edge. 
which is where K3S comes in because it's a super itty bitty Kubernetes. Uh, so there's a lot of trying to pull that all together and you know put out a full portfolio of enterprise grade products. Fantastic. That's awesome to hear. Looks like Mark is brewing up a question. I can always tell. Oh, uh, <laughs> kind, of get, kind of got my wheels turning, uh, Chris. And and especially because I think, you know, some of our audience is like, it's going to be a mix of uh, technology leaders that are super familiar with some of these terms you just used and, and what Tuesdays brings to the market and others like, you know, really come completely unfamiliar with containerization and Kubernetes and, and edge. And, and I, I'd love to go, uh, go like, you know, maybe take it from, from that perspective. How, how would you explain this to someone who's, who's maybe not that familiar with these, 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 you know, relatively modern infrastructure paradigms? Yeah. So let's see. I, there, there is literally a, uh, a little kid's book about Kubernetes that I bought my daughter that she can't read yet. Uh, it's, it is somewhat tricky to, to uh, like explain briefly, but so Kubernetes is container orchestration. It's the new hotness and has been for quite some time. I uh, originally started at Google. Basically it's a way to, you know, automatically scale up and down deployments of things. So you have, you know, basically, web scale wherever you need it. Uh, so on the edge- well, If I can interrupt, let's, 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 even, let's even move up a level. You just uh, mentioned containerization. What, it, what exactly is containerization um, in this connotation of, of use? So the- Describe that. Yeah, the way I like to explain it is, it's basically, it's building out a whole platform based on little bits. Right, so it's little sandboxes, making sure that you know the easiest way that most people would think of it is Docker containers. Right, you have mm -hmm. an application that has that has all of its dependencies bundled in. It has everything that it needs. It's basically like, you know, when somebody says, "Oh, it works on my machine," we just ship them the machine. Right, so it has all the dependencies. It has the OS, uh, you know, the user space libraries that need that are needed by that application. And it basically allows you to, you know, break up some giant monolithic thing into a bunch of what are called microservices, right? And so then it allows you to iterate more quickly. You don't have to go through this whole process to update your app. You can update like just the part that does billing, for example, or just the part that, you know, calls out to some other microservice. And so it's, it's kind of about, you know, turning things into smaller building blocks so that you can move quickly and have things talk to each other without having to go through, you know, a massive monolithic kind of environment, really. I'm going to throw this out there. Um, two things. First, I have read the Kubernetes for Kids book, and it is way above my head. That is why I'm the <laughs> social media manager here, not the Kubernetes manager. Um, the second thing is, uh, for those listening, and I'm going to break it down in social media manager terms. Let's pretend you have a modular phone. There's a screen, there's a processor, there's a microphone, there's a camera. Each one of those things do things on their own. Um, that could be, uh, you know, that's pretty plain and simple. You put all those together, you have a phone, which is essentially equal to an app that's in a container, if you will. That container or phone is part of a network that allows it to send and receive information. That could be the Kubernetes network. 
that's the easiest way that I could at least help our listeners understand it for the non-technical folks. It is quite a challenging thing, but that, uh, that that's a great way to explain it uh, the way you did, Chris. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, I want to kind of transition slightly. Um, something that we've talked about quite a bit in our podcast is um, AI. And I know that's kind of like a catch-all phrase at this point, um, but I'm curious. And again, I know SUSE is a big company, so this might not be exactly in your wheelhouse, but how does AI kind of play into containerization into the Kubernetes distribution, um, you know, K2s, K3s, the things that you're working on? And is that something that, you know, in the future uh, is going to, to be a, a big kind of necessary part of, of that uh, infrastructure, if you will? So there is definitely a lot going on with AI and Kubernetes, for sure. Um, you know, there's, there's places like uh, Determined AI that have kind of a way to share multiple GPUs and kind of schedule things on them. And that runs pretty well on K3S. Uh, I happen to know the community manager actually worked at Rancher with me for a while. So, so that's why I know that. Uh, in terms of, you know, what my team would do, it's it's kind of outside of the scope in the sense that, you know, we just give you the distribution and then you can put whatever workload you want on it. Uh, within SUSE and Rancher, you know, we do have a team that's that's dedicated to AI. Uh, and monitoring. It's basically, you know, using AI to try to improve observability and help find issues in your cluster, right? Like, oh, hey, this doesn't look right. We should alert you about that. Uh, so we do certainly have that as a focus in SUSE. Uh, I wish I could, you know, dive a little bit more into it, but it's a little bit outside of, of my team at the moment. Totally fine. No, that's that's cool. It's It's just always interesting to see how various organizations are kind of incorporating it in, in different ways and whatnot. Uh, Chris, one thing around some of these these technical topics that I, I think is interesting is to kind of flip them around and look at like the, the, the business value of those and translate that particularly for um, some of our audience, which could be more or less technical, uh, more, more, more or less engineering or, oriented or hands-on or, or fairly removed. And maybe I'll kind of explain this by way of example. So I can remember uh, in my in my prior life having uh, a one of the development teams reporting to me, and we we made a, a movement. This was probably like nine years ago. Uh, started adopting Docker, and that literally transformed. So we're a small small organization. You know, I think at the time we were like sixty people or something total. Uh, in, in total company, so a boutique consulting firm. And, and we shifted to leveraging Docker internally for our own products and just really pretty much for everything we we did. And I mean, my experience was that it was that 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 alone moving to containerization was was like massively uh, helpful and, and a game changer for what we did, even having a small team. Uh, it made us dramatically more efficient. And from like a, just like from a business standpoint, that was an example of a technology that, that changed a paradigm in a way. And that, that by, by leveraging that, I mean, it literally just made everything way simpler. Yeah. Uh, when you're developing custom applications and you're trying to get them tested and, 
and deployed to customers quickly and efficiently and you're doing your you're you're setting up uh, you know you're you have your own hosting environments and things like that i mean everything just got dramatically simpler and so that to me really like made the the like there was a very there's a very clear business value around containerization and i'm curious um, and this is a setup for the question, so bear with me, but really the question then comes, if we take that a step further and, and Kubernetes is really the modern evolution of containerization and that orchest orchestration that you were talking about, how does that change the paradigm a step further, particularly for what we think of as maybe a, a mid-market company, not a massive multi-billion dollar company doing things at, at, at huge scale, but more, you know, a company that might be, say, uh, a, a mid-market manufacturing company that's doing something and they have custom applications, but they they haven't adopted these. I, I kind of love to hear kind of the, how that impacts adopting some of these technologies helps a company like that. I think a lot of, a lot of the areas that we see people kind of adopt this in those spaces are, are kind of like industrial IoT kind of mm -hmm. applications. Yeah. where we'll see, you know, and an, what we call an edge gateway in a factory. And then that will, you know, communicate with a group of sensors that kind of help measure the velocity of things, help catch anomalies, maybe have some, you know, open CV set up so that it can see, like has a little camera and say, oh, that thing's broken, mm -hmm. whack it off the line. Uh, so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of applications kind of like that. And that's where the the whole edge comes in, right? It's basically mm -hmm. small devices talking to each other to give you a better understanding of the business, how it's actually working. Uh, like another area with that is with trucking, right? So the trucks, they'll have a gateway inside of it. It'll have mm -hmm. GPS, it'll have, you know, temperature sensors if it's supposed to be cold storage stuff. And so it allows you to kind of surface that, that information to the people in the business making decisions, right? And help you understand okay well you know whenever we've loaded up this truck on this route it hasn't you know it hasn't met this weight capacity why not can we reach like can we shift the route and pick up more stuff along the way like just having that amount of information is i think where where kubernetes kind of plays a key role because there may be you know there may have been little individual tools on the truck and then you have to go download the information through like an odb2 port or whatever and now it's all it's all connected in kind of an iot sense and so you have these individual devices measuring individual things and it just allows you to get that much more you know frankly metrics and understanding of what is actually happening in the business versus before you know you can kind of piece things together a little bit one at a time but now you have all of this information coming up all at once. You can get a single pane of glass of here's what's happening everywhere in my business. And here's, you know, here's what we can do better, basically. And that, that concept, so that concept of a single pane of glass and that giving you, gaining that through that, through leveraging a Kubernetes deployment, I, I think that really from a talk about like business value, I think that resonates with, that that resonates with a lot a lot of customers. I mean, hear that in just about every type of systems infrastructure conversation we have at Soligo. We're in the middle of a lot of those that, that um, not necessarily as many IoT, but more about core like transactional business processes. But it it keeps it seems like there's so many people out there in industry 
kind of searching and, and yearning to get that that holy grail of that single pane of glass. Um, it, it seems like it, it's a it's a continual search. We're getting we're getting closer and closer. It's interesting when I hear you say that, um, Mark. Uh, I, I was doing a deep dive on your LinkedIn, Chris, and one of the first things um, that I noticed under um, your CISA section or whatever you call it is. Um, you work to tear down silos to share tools, processes, and information across different organizations. And when I saw that, I was, well, first of all, it just sounds a lot like what we're talking about, this clear plane of glass with information coming in from all places, regardless of what org or tool. Um, but it's also something that at Saligo, that is kind of our bread and butter is, is tearing down business silos, connecting people's tech stack and allowing information to flow freely between them to be as efficient as possible. And I know SUSE and Saligo are two completely different companies, but it's, I'm curious, just like, it, it, like, does that resonate with you? That kind of, I, I don't, I don't want to say like integration and automation, because those are the, the keywords that we use all the time, but does that kind of resonate with what you were saying previously about a flat plane of glass? It does in a way. Yeah. I think a lot of like that specific bullet point on my LinkedIn is a lot more of kind of organizational, cultural, more than technical in the sense of, Hey, you know, we're all working on these little bits of automation to do, you know, say the K3S RK2 release process, you know, let's set up a repo. Let's have somebody own it and kind of collate all of these tools and turn them into, you know, one suite of tools that does everything that we need. Uh, I, I think, you know, a lot of the silos were more, again, organizational around the fact that we were a recent acquisition in SUSE. And so we were kind of separated from everybody else. And so it's kind of breaking down the, the communication barriers and opening up, you know, to, hey, SUSE QA team, here's what we're doing. Here's what you're doing. Maybe we can work together and do the same thing once instead of like four different ways. Uh, so that that's kind of where I, I like to focus is, Automation in the sense of, you know, putting in automated guard guardrails around the process. Like, again, talking about the release process, right? There was, you know, there was a lot to be desired when we first started with it. And that's obviously how it goes, right? You start, you just get stuff out, and then you kind of go back and try to make sure that, you know, you formalize and make the process as efficient as possible. Uh, and so, you know, a, a lot of it is just, a collection of small, tiny tools that once you put them together, turn into one, you know, automated process. Uh, I, I push for that as well at Canonical in terms of, you know, how can we share like tooling across a bunch of different organizations that were kind of doing things their own way. Uh, and there's obviously a lot of different ways to do it, but the way that I've always done it is just kind of break down communication silos and just go talk to other teams and see what they're doing. And have we already solved this problem? If so, let's work together to, you know, reuse what we already did. That makes sense. Seems like Mark, I'm probably, you've probably heard that hundreds of times talking to our customers and potential customers that, you know, that openness and communication and need to connect is probably pretty relevant in their software tech stack. Oh, uh, definitely. I, I mean, the the need to connect, the need to improve processes, regardless of what they are, whether it's whether it's a development, a release process within a development team, or it's an order to cash process, 
in your business. It's it. You, I mean, we see this pattern repeated in business, literally of all sizes. I mean, it's so much of, uh, I think, modern. You know, building a modern business or is and evolving it is is about refining the continually refining those processes. I see it, it, Chris. You mentioned kind of this. You know almost what I think of as a continual improvement to those processes, like, Hey, you got to get it out and do it. But then you're, you're always making it better. You're always kind of working to break down. And and this is something that I've seen a lot in businesses that this is a, you know, for those that come from a background of that, they're like, well, yeah, that's that what you're always doing. And it seems really obvious to a lot of us, but I've also seen a lot of businesses really struggle with that in their growth phase that they sort of look at things and be like, Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do this project and we're gonna design this new way of doing it. And it's sort of this big bang approach to everything that they they go and they do it and then they launch it and now it's new and then it's like, well, it this is it, it's done. And I know coming from uh, a lot of time in an ERP background, I spent a lot of time explaining, hey, when we launch this thing, it's that's just the beginning. Like yeah, <laughs> this is just the beginning of the process because you've got to continually you got to settle in for, you know, 60, 90 days. And then the real work begins figuring out how to tune it and how to make it better in any of these systems, whether it's an ERP, it's a development process, it's a piece of custom software that you create. It's, it's like thinking of it as a continual evolution that it's, it's, it's always evolving that every, whatever your, whatever your cycle is going to be that you're going to revisit this, uh, whether it's a two-week sprint cycle or it's something else, whatever you have resources for, that you're you're always making it a little bit better at every turn, and that I think is really transformative. Whether it's a pr- a process or a thing that you're building, um, and that's what what's really stuck with me because it applies really to to literally everything. Whether it's highly technical or actually, if it's really non-technical, it's over in accounting somewhere. But it applies in in both like all of the paradigms. I think really well. Absolutely, and that's you know that's one of my key focuses just in general in management is how can we do things a little bit better each time, right? Yeah. And one of the things that I found as a manager is, is sometimes tricky is, you know, when you're managing a bunch of devs, they want to just, sometimes they want to go off and make a whole new thing that's better based on what they already learned. <laughs> and then sometimes you have to rein them in a little bit and be like, hey, okay, we have a pretty good start here. Let's iterate on it. Let's improve it a little bit each time. And then, you know, it, it's kind of, again like the whole don't let perfect be the enemy of good right like you have a starting point great use it and then build off of it don't just keep restarting the start <laughs> to build something new it's interesting how cicd is baked into so many different businesses and and um you know it doesn't it doesn't matter if, if you're an, an engineering or development company or a manufacturing company it's just it's something that i think all of us pretty clearly recognizes is uh completely necessary for any business to improve. Um, I want to ask a quick question. I know you mentioned Rancher earlier. Um, You know, there's Longhorn, there's Rancher Desktop. Um, SUSE has a whole bunch of open source uh, projects. And I was kind of introduced to open source four or five years ago. Um, I'm obviously not a developer, but company that I worked at at the time had a lot to do with open source and were putting out their own open source products. It's something that I've been pretty interested in and relatively passionate about over the years. And I'm curious, like, you know, beyond helping people, you know, do cool things, um, you know, via development, um, what's like the value or or importance to you of open source 
and and how does it play into the greater picture at, at SUSE? So I have a, a very, uh, like, I am very privileged in that I've spent my entire career in open source. Uh, I've never done anything closed source. Uh, it It's basically, you know, for SUSE in general, like, it's in our DNA. Everything we do is open. We're, I mean, we're going and spending $10 million to fork rail to keep it open, right? Like, we're, it, it's baked into what we do every day and especially on my team so it's a little bit interesting because k3s you know k3s and rk2 obviously they're both open source everything rancher does is open source but k3s is very community focused and it's you know we donated it to the cloud native computing foundation we don't technically own it the cncf does uh and so we're very community driven there and you know we really try to make sure that we take you know, take feedback and take pull requests and and incorporate the community wherever we can, uh, especially in, in K3S, like I said. And then RK2, still open source, built off of K3S, but it's a little bit more enterprisey, And so it's a lot more customer driven than community driven. Mm -hmm. uh, but in terms of, you know, being open source, it's, it's, it's everything. Like we, you know, we want to do everything in the open because we think it gives you more, it gives you more flexibility. It actually gives you more security because you will have security folks that find your open source project and want to bring it. <laughs> uh, it's a great way to, you know, get people involved and figure out what people are actually doing with your software. Like we, you know, we have discussions enabled on GitHub for K3S. We get to see a lot of these people come in and be like, hey, look at my, you know, Raspberry Pi cluster running K3S. Like, oh, what are you doing with it? Oh, X, Y, and Z. That's the coolest thing ever is seeing something that you, you know, help maintain actually powering something that somebody else is building. That's a, that's, that's really cool. I think the community aspect is something that there's certain companies that just do it correctly, especially in the open source world, you know, whether it's SUSE, whether it's Grafana Labs, um, you know, these companies that, I mean, to me, like that is the coolest part is seeing what people can build and what they can break and, and, you know, getting ideas essentially for free from them because they love the, the project. Uh, and it's really cool that you work on the community side of things. And especially for me, I mean, I, I manage social media communities, you manage developer communities. And, um, it, it's just interesting because I've, I've been connected with you for quite a while on LinkedIn and I've followed all, almost all of your updates. And it's interesting to see how much you care about the community where you're, you're posting K3S updates and K2S updates. Um, almost, I guess you have like a weekly post that you do. And um, I don't know, I guess this is kind of a crossover between social media and, and um, you know, your role in engineering, but talk, if you could talk a little more about, and I know you already touched on it, but um, I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm very interested in the community side, so I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a, a specific question, but uh, I guess how does... How, I've got how, a question on the community. Right. Oh, thank you. I mean, I'm, me, I'm, really, I'm really intrigued about this building community. This is something that, that I've had, I've been in part of lots of discussions about how do you try to build, how do you build developer community around something? And in our case, we don't have an open source product. It's, 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 it's a product that, that, you know, our product is, is, 
a native cloud-based product, but it's not. It, it's it's not open source, and so I think it poses some more challenge. And I'm really curious to hear, Chris, what what to you are the keys to building a really solid community? And we'll start there, and 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 then there's kind of some natural follow-up questions on on the paradigm. I was about to ask that. Uh, so let's see. I mean, if to build a community, like a developer community around a specific project, the the very first thing you need to do is just build something and put it out there yeah. right? and ask for feedback, ask for ideas, ask for, you know, Hey, if we built this, would you use it? And if not, what if we did this? And it's really, it's all about communication, right? It's, it's not like you can have very robust communities for a closed source project, as long as you have that openness and you go, you know, seek feedback and seek people that want to learn more about it and show what they're building from it. And it's it's a lot of, you know, soliciting feedback, uh, trying to help, I mean, on the open source side, specifically, of course, like trying to help build out new contributors and try to incentivize them to do so. And, you know, just sometimes that includes or involves walking somebody through like a very simple PR process. Sometimes it's, you know, making sure that you assign good first issue labels on an issue on GitHub that kind of allows people to go and filter and see, oh, okay, this is like a one-line fix. Even I can do that. And it's it's really, it's just constant fostering of, of communication between users and, you know, people building things on top of your software. People just, just want to know about it. Like it's, it's a lot of, it is a lot of work just talking to people, right? Like, I, I just can't stress enough that it's it's about the people more than anything, right? That makes that makes a lot of sense, and and it always seems when you as a as a, an observer and, and sometimes a participator in in different online communities, technical or otherwise, always seems like there's a certain point where there's a there's a critical mass that's reached, and then the the val the the content creation and the value of it of the community as a whole it increases exponentially from there um do you think those the the principles you were talking about of that openness and communication does that really matter if you haven't right reached like it, it sounds like that that would hold true whether you've reached that critical mass or you 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 have but if you're still early that that is just as important or maybe more important early on i would say it's even more important early yeah. it because it helps build up that trust between you and the community of oh they're actually listening like they want to know what we have to say uh you know i wasn't really here for the the very early bits of k3s but from what i've seen it was a lot of you know publicly saying hey we put out this thing go play with it tell us how it breaks we want to know and just really kind of reaching out and and talking to people about what they would want in a you know a mini Kubernetes, like, what would it look like if you had the perfect, you know, Kubernetes that you could use on a Raspberry Pi? What would you do with it? What would it look like? And I think it's it's really kind of building up that trust because if you go, you know, you can be so just by being open source, you're not necessarily building a community, right? Like the the mm -hmm. example that I I hate to go for, but the example of that is Android, right? It's technically open source. Do they accept contributions to ASOP? No, not really. But you can go get the source after it's released. But 
so you know it, it really is just that constant back and forth and building up that that trust of you know a new community member coming in knowing okay if i log a bug against k3s it's going to get answered you know it might not get fixed but it'll at least be engaged like within a few hours which is kind of crazy for that number of people but my team is amazing and they do it uh so it's just knowing you know i will be like i'll be spoken to with respect people will take what I say seriously and people will, you know, try to take my feedback and improve upon it. That, that makes a lot of sense. And one thing that really jumped out at me was that, that approach, that objective of your team to, to respond to something, to be so in tune that they're listening and responding to that feedback within hours, that it's not, it's not, it doesn't turn into days or weeks, but they're, they're trying to striving to being, almost immediately responsive to the community if something comes up. Yeah, I mean, we're we're pretty good at it. I mean, obviously there's cases where we don't do so great. And, uh, you know, there's always a little bit of a tricky spot when we do use Stalebot on GitHub, which closes issues after 180 days. We open it back up if anybody says this is still an issue. And we actually, you know, we, we took a little bit of flack for enabling that, but in my personal opinion, it was helpful because it actually bubbles up older issues, right? So like, you know, we'll have responded and then maybe, you know, we didn't follow back up if somebody asked a follow-up question, you know, a few weeks later. And so now it kind of pops up to the top. We're like, oh, okay, that's actually still an issue. We'll remove the label and make sure that it doesn't get closed. But, you know, for the most part, we're, we're pretty reactive to issues. I mean, for especially for a project the size of K3S, right? Like we have, what, like 25,000 stars on GitHub and 80-something issues right now, which is not a ton for that many stars, wow. right? Like it's, and that's, a lot of it is, you know, just good pruning and making sure that we close issues when they're closed. A lot of it is good triage. And then it's, you know, it's really just listening and, and fixing things when people tell us it's broken. That's a, that's a really interesting way to, I mean, it's the right way to do business. It's, it's, you know, you're taking care of the people that care about your product. You keep them engaged, you help them out. Um, that's, that's really cool. I'm, I'm curious if maybe Sousa in general or you in your personal life take inspiration from other, uh, I guess, community-based um, organizations, whether that's uh, GitHub, whether that's Reddit, uh, Slack. Do you... Do you try to model certain things from other places and, and incorporate them into SUSE at all? Or how does how does that work on your end of things? So there's not really like one model at SUSE. It's kind of up to the team. So, you know, even from a community standpoint, right? Like Longhorn is another CNCF project that SUSE runs. Uh, and that's a completely separate team for me that run things a little bit differently, still very well, I think. like. I think they do a phenomenal job, but it's kind of up to the individual manager, how they want to lead that specific community. If they have that kind of project. Uh, I mean, we do take a lot of, I, I personally take a lot of inspiration from what I saw in the Ubuntu community that I was involved pretty heavily with. Uh, you know, I've read books about community. I've, I've just tried to take, you know, any lessons that I can find from anybody else and try to incorporate it. Uh, but it also, it kind of goes back to the, you know, iterative approach that we were talking about before. Like you try things, if it doesn't work, then you try something else. 
if you try it and it works and you think you can do it even better, then you, you do that. Uh, you know, that's, that's how the, uh, the weekly report that you mentioned kind of came up. Like I was bored one day, so I wrote a terrible bash script that pulled a bunch of stuff from GitHub. I was like, this is fun. So I started posting it and people were like, oh, well, what if you actually showed this, this and this? I was like, oh, okay, yeah, let's try it. And you know, that's, that's why those are up weekly now. <laughs> That's that's hilarious that you you used a batch script to like automate that for your post from LinkedIn, where most people use like ChatGPT to write some goofy post, and you're using like complex technology to, to update people on the on on community. I'm I want to ask a slightly different question, um, and it actually has to do with your LinkedIn because I find it really interesting that engineers and developers have. Um, a you know the they're in a dark cave coding all day and the matrix green numbers are coming down the screen um and obviously i've met tons of engineers they're all really nice people um they're not like that you actually have windows which is great um, i'm glad you're not in a cave um but what value have you gotten um from being like essentially a social butterfly in, in a way that most developers are not on social media and specifically linkedin like is that something that, you know, you're you're really trying to grow your presence? Is that something that you're just trying to keep the community engaged on a different platform? It, do you enjoy doing it? Like, what kind of started you sharing on on LinkedIn? Because I, I noticed most developers don't do that. I think the the big push for me was to try to keep the community updated. I think, you know, everything we do is open. You can go look at you know any of the commits on GitHub. You can look at the pull requests that have merged. You can look at issues. You know, you look at whatever, mm -hmm. but I think I wanted people to understand how much work actually goes into just this single repo, which is one of many that actually get pulled into K3S. So honestly, I should probably update it to pull in a bunch of the component repos as well. But it's just, I, I find it fascinating just the amount of work that goes into maintaining a project like this, you know, for, especially for a Kubernetes distribution, right? So we released like three to five different minor versions a month. So we're constantly in a release cycle. And I don't think people realize that, right? Cause you just download or you just use whatever version of Kubernetes is out that day and you don't really think about it necessarily, right? But the way that it upstream works, you know, we have to keep up with them. And so I kind of, I like to highlight what the team is doing to try to give them credit for all the great work that they're doing. Uh, and I, I try to do that for, you know, both the dev and QA side, because obviously I came up as a QA person. I don't think QA people get enough credit. Uh, and so it's really, you know, it's it's trying to spread out that credit to the team. It's trying to keep people on LinkedIn updated on what's actually, you know, maybe there's a cool new feature coming in K3S and we want people to know about it. Uh, and then it's it really is just, you know, trying to share for the most part. That's awesome, man. It's it's a great way to uh, another channel to build community. But I think you said you know you're you're giving your your employees and your team and your coworkers and you know the credit that's that's deserved because yeah, not everyone knows what what goes on behind the scenes. And I mean, again, I'm a social media manager, so I'm 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 all over that kind of stuff. Um, and I think it's it's important. And I think the more you know, folks can do that. Whether it's a CEO thanking their employees for the hard work this month, whether you're using a batch script to share all of the updates that your team is making, uh, you know, a sales manager congratulating a, an account executive on a, a huge deal that's closed. Those kinds of things are they're really important for, for keeping an audience engaged, but they're also 
really important for employer branding and making your respective company uh, appeal to, you know, really high quality potential employees or future employees. And um, I, I'm a huge um, uh, employee advocacy advocate, if you will. And I think you're doing a fantastic job. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Thank you. I, I really feel like one of the key kind of components of being a people manager or an engineering manager is like, I like to describe my management style as give credit and take blame in the sense that I like to call people out publicly for when they do something good. And I like to tell everybody like, Hey, look at this cool thing that Brian did look this cool thing that Brad did. And then, you know, sometimes you mess up and that's on me because it's my team. So if we introduce a regression in K3S, I'll post about it and say, Hey, maybe don't use this version. We accidentally did this bug. That's on me. We'll fix it. Uh, but I, I think that's really something that's, kind of lacking in some engineering management mm. that I've seen. I think, you know, it really has to be about building up the team around you and not, you know, you trying to go be like, look for this cool thing I did when it's really oh. your to do it. Hi, Chris, I think you make a great point, but I I'm gonna argue it's not exclusive to engineering at all. That's simply, yeah, yeah. It's simply good management. And I think in engineering, it's even, it's just even more apparent when it's bad. Like it stands out to such a higher degree, but the the principle and the concept of building that team that way, that's just, I think that's simply good leadership. And, and it's, it's really, it's, it's can be so painfully acute when it comes to engineering management, but it's, it, it applies everywhere else in the same way. That's a, that's a great way to put it. And I guess Mark will be making a LinkedIn post congratulating me for being a great podcast co-host uh, <laughs> later today. I'll keep an eye out for that one, Mark. Um, well, I know we're getting uh, a little close to the end. We've been recording for almost 45 minutes. I don't want to take up too much of your time, Chris. Um, I have my typical ending questions, but I, I want to leave the floor open for Mark to see if there's any any uh, topics he wanted to, to cover before we part ways. I, I think we covered all the, the things that I was I wanted to make sure we touched on here, Jordan. That's fantastic. Um, well, with that in mind, um, I would be remiss if I did not mention that Chris Wayne is also the number four most downloaded Kindle author on Amazon uh, with his his book, How to Not Be a Fatty. So um, I'm going to be downloading that because I could definitely use some tips, tricks and best practices from Chris. Um, so we know you're an author. We know you're a father um, and a family man. But. For those listening uh, who want to get to know you more, Chris, outside of work, outside of your family, what are you, you know, what are you interested in? And obviously open source is one of these, but what are you interested in? What are you passionate about? What do you like to do for fun? Um, we just want to let the people get to know you a little bit. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I mean, family is obviously the number one thing. Like when I hang up here, I'm going to go try to play with my daughter, even though she's mad because she's teething. Uh, I think... You know, one of the things that I like to do for me is, uh, you know, it's kind of goes along with the weight loss, but I exercise every day since like 2012. And it's kind of, it takes up a lot of the free time that I have, but I continue to do it because it's one of the best ways to clear your mind of what's going on. Uh, so I really like to run, you know, pre COVID, I would do a lot of races uh, across really the world. Uh, at my last job at Canonical, I used to travel 
13, 14 times a year. And I would try to find a half marathon wherever I was traveling that, that month. So that was, that was a really cool way to see new places. So like I, I did a half marathon in Taiwan and Amsterdam and South Africa, and then in Colorado all in the same year for no reason whatsoever. Uh, so a lot of that, a lot of photography, and then it's really just playing with the, with the kid and the dog and hanging out with my wife. That's awesome, man. I, uh, I, I love to hear that. It's you're, you're a big, um, out, out, I, I guess you like being outdoors. It seems like Mark's very similar. He's always trekking in the Alps or skiing through the forest or things like that. So it's, <laughs> it's cool to see those, uh, those connections. Um, I just want to say, Chris, you've been a fantastic guest. Um, I really appreciate you breaking down these, um, very complex, um, aspects of Kubernetes, of containers, of community building in a way that's um, really easy to understand. Um, so again, thank you for being an amazing guest and Mark, as usual, fantastic co-host. Uh, to those of you who are still listening, thanks for joining us on the Saligo Technology Leaders podcast. Uh, we will see you in about or a week or two. Uh, we have some fantastic guests line up. Um, we can't wait to see you then. So thank you so much, Chris. Great. Thank you so much. Brian. Thank you, Chris. Great to meet you. Bye, everybody. <laughs>